Leviticus chapter 27. Well, previously in 26, we saw a series of what I referred to as if-then statements. Israel, as they were entering into the promised land, well, well, God told them, if, if you're obedient to me, then I'm going to bless you. But if you're disobedient to me, then there's going to be the absence of blessings, which in turns are curses themselves. And so God was very straightforward. He laid it all out for Leviticus. Well, or for Israel in Leviticus 26. Well, we enter into chapter 27, and, and now we come to a, a different aspect in our relationship with God. This is still an if-then situation, only it's reversed a little bit, and I think it's something that most of us can relate to. This is kind of the, if you, God, if you, and you can fill in so many different blanks, then I will. See, if you saw the movie of Louis Saperini, and I'm not sure that this portion was contained in the movie, if it was in the book, because I read the book before I went to see the movie. But if you remember, Louis made a deal with the Lord. He was in a Japanese prison camp, and again, if you saw the movie, well, if you read the book, it was even worse than the movie, the things that he had to endure, but they were pretty serious. But in the midst of it, this man who wasn't saved made a deal with the Lord. Lord, if you deliver me from this camp, if I get out of here alive, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. This would be what we would call a vow. A vow? A vow is a promise, gift to God, with the intent of lending weight to your prayer. Louis? Louis didn't start serving God when God upheld his portion of that vow. God did deliver Louis. Louis wasn't serving God. But the thing about it is, God never gives up. He never gives up in our lives. He never gives up. And even the word as we speak it, as we go on record making vows before the Lord, he's going to expect us to keep our portion of the vow. As I've said before, a vow is something that is voluntary. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to make vows with God, but once you make a voluntary vow before the Lord, it becomes obligatory. It is something that the Lord, again, is going to hold you to. But as we serve a God who keeps his word, and we so we rejoice in that. It's why we study God's word. It's why we rejoice in the word of God. God, in turn, expects us to follow that example and keep our vows, keep our word before him. So, the worst kind of vow, the worst kind of vow would be an unfulfilled vow. And so, you need to think about it. How many times have you made a vow before the Lord, made some sort of promise, and didn't keep that promise to God? We so expect, and we just even, well, we just think that it's going to happen, that God is going to be faithful, and well, God is going to be faithful to his word. How much more so, based upon that, should we be faithful to the vows that we make or to our word before a holy God. A long time ago, 1980, I'm going to speak about it on tomorrow night, it was June 28th, I made vows not only before the Lord, but before many witnesses that I would take this young lady, Tara Ladaney, to be my wedded wife. And I stood before the Lord and I gave vows. And as I gave those vows, I was responsible for the keeping of those vows before the Lord. So many times we've said, Lord, I'll do this, and every day I'll do that. I'll open up my Bible and I'll get into reading your word every day, Lord, or I'll be more faithful in getting to service, whether it be a Sunday morning or a 
Thursday night or a Sunday night or whenever the church might be open or I'll get into a small group or whatever and we'll give all of these or make all of these vows before our holy God. But how serious, how serious are they in our own mind? Well, God holds them very seriously. It's not that you're going to lose your salvation for the breaking of a vow. But again, as we go back to 26 in Leviticus, it was about receiving the blessings from the Lord. It was about having God's face shine upon my life. It's about having him active in my life and that I would not do anything to alienate him from my life. Now, this was such an important aspect of our Christian lives that Jesus gave us his mind on the matter. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, Jesus says, again, or he's going to the next point, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. You shall keep your word before God, is what he's saying. But I say to you, Jesus is saying, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is, it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He's saying don't even get involved in, in these oaths or vows or whatever they might be. Walk in obedience to God. Walk obedience. We know that all things that are working around us are working together for the good. Now, your kids, if you've checked them in the children's ministry tonight, they're looking at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and it's Lazarus, and it's Lazarus' death. And Jesus is telling him that Lazarus' death is going to be used to his glory, and we see that it is, that Jesus has power over life and death. And it got me thinking and looking at our prayer list and how easily we can so question God. But as God is Lord over all, as Jesus is the one who has power over life and death, I need to completely and totally surrender myself to him. Because again, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And again, whenever I read that, it's like Jesus is even perplexed why somebody would do that. Why would you call me Lord and not do what I say? Because in his mind, that just makes absolutely no sense. But as Jesus Christ is our Lord, the Lord says, it's not about keeping the vows or making the vows or anything. Just walk in obedience to the Lord and what he has called and commanded you to do who he has called and commanded you to be. If you do that, you do well in this life. So, the problem with saying that you are going to do something arises when you don't. When you don't fulfill the vow that you have brought before the Lord. A matter of fact, we see that in this society, there was such an importance placed upon that, that if you were going to give testimony at a trial... What did you do? You put your hand upon the Bible. What happens when we swear a president in? Well, I still do that. At least I think we do. But I don't think it carries the weight that it used to. But nonetheless, you would put your hand upon the Bible. This is making an oath to tell the truth or to do the truth, the whole truth. So help you God. And you are basing upon this, God, basing all this oath or this vow upon God's word that you would do these things. Leviticus 19.12 says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4-5 through 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. 
for he has no pleasure in fools. Play with hay which you have vowed, better to not vow than to vow and not pay it. So once we make that vow before the Lord, we're responsible before the Lord. And so I need to consider the things that I say. I need to consider the things that I do. Well, even in our prayer tonight, the prayer time we were praying for some people, some of them said, well, so-and-so was saved, but they never really walked with the Lord, and, and, and they walked in disobedience and never really developed a relationship. And I'm thinking, how can you stand before the Lord, make a vow that I will follow you, Lord, for all of my days, and then not do it? and truly live a life that is not miserable before the Lord. As I make those vows before God, I've got a responsibility to follow through. Now, in this age of grace, we can so take these things for granted. But the vows that I make before God, I'm responsible. Again, not a salvation issue, but I want to be right in the sight of my God. And so, if I'm going to tell God I'm going to do something, I need to follow through on these things. And so the issue with a vow, after the emotion or emergency has passed, they can be so easily forgotten or left unfulfilled. So what we're going to be doing, looking in this last chapter of Leviticus, because we are going to finish this last chapter of Leviticus here tonight, we're going to see that this is about keeping the vow or there's the provision here in the Old Testament times for redeeming a vow while still, in the sight of God, fulfilling that vow. This is how you could substitute some sort of monetary payment for what you have promised to give to God. You could do so at delivery or you could do so later on in time. Keep it in mind. We just had the law delivered in Exodus. Exodus finishes, we get into Leviticus. Exodus, there was a law. 613 laws that they had to keep. And Leviticus, Leviticus was given when man failed to keep that law. This was provision for the punishment. And so first thing we got into, we'll review this at the end of our study today, was the sacrifice. But now just God in our day-to-day living. So when it comes to a vow, this is what God has to say. The first one is the pledge of a person, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 27, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. If it is from five years up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels, for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed, the priest shall value him. Now probably the best known, most well-known pledge of a person was in Samuel. 
there was a woman, Hannah, who could not give her husband a son. And she was distressed. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Hannah, when she made a vow, because she said, Lord, well, let me read it. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then, so again, if, then, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Well, she delivered on that vow. She gave, she gave her son, Samuel, to the priesthood, and he was one of the most powerful prophets, priests, judges that Israel ever really had. And so you got all of these valuations for the purpose of redemption. Now, why is a man worth more than a woman? And why the different amounts for different ages? In the sight of God, is this how it is? No, we're all... We're all equal and we're all the same in the sight of God. Really, the valuation is for the purpose of the work that they would be able to accomplish in the service to the Lord. It was more necessary for the hard work to have a male than a female, so a male in this particular case would be worth more money. For the length of time, there was a valuation for the length of time of service that they would have as well. So if you get an old guy like me, I just wouldn't quite be as worth as much as a young buck would be worth. And so again, the prices were based upon the amount of manual labor that the person could be expected to perform in the sanctuary. So keep this in mind before you call the church and want to dedicate your child to the church. If you wanted to redeem them, you see that there's a price. A shekel now, you see the, the different amounts of shekels for redemption. Now, a shekel was the amount of one month's pay. And so if you gave a vow to the Lord, such as Hannah did, Lord, if you give me a male child, I'll dedicate him to you. And so you come and you dedicate this child and you give him to the care of the priest and whatnot and dedicate him to the priesthood. But later on, you miss your child and you want your child back. And you say, you know what, we, we really miss our, our little Samuel. We want to we get him back. And, well, what is the amount of money that I need to pay? Well, if you vowed a child, well, let's say a teenager. If you, vowed, if you vowed your teenager, it would cost you close to two years' worth of pay to get him back. Now, really what the point here is, is that you would consider the vows that you make before God. Where is this? How does this work out for us? Because we don't vow our kids, and why are we even bother reading that? Again, it lends weight to the importance that God places upon the words that we speak to him, the vows that we speak to him. Because if you give an if, then, Lord, if you do this, then I'm going to do this, God takes that very serious. Next, we have the promise of a sacrifice, verses 9 through 13. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy, shall be set apart. If it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants it all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. 
So if you promise to give God a clean animal, then you must deliver it. But the problem with that is you can't redeem it. Because a clean animal, clean animal will be used for the purpose of sacrifice, and there's no redeeming the sacrifice. There must be the spilling of the blood. So if you tell the Lord that if he restores the Lakers back to prominence in the basketball world, then you will give your best bull to him. When the Lord delivers, so must you. You must give of what you promised. And in this particular case, there's no redeeming it back. Now, if you give an unclean animal, you would not be giving an unclean animal for the purpose of sacrifice because it's illegal to sacrifice an unclean animal. This would just simply be something used as a beast of burden in service to the Lord. That you could redeem back, but the priest would set a value on how much that animal is worth. Now, the priest ministers before the Lord, so it's expected that he would be honest here. Let's just say that he values it at $100. Now, the Lord says you must also add 20% or one-fifth onto that. So to get it back, you've got this $100 animal. You must pay $120 to get it back. Again, you've got to consider, if this is a clean animal, it's gone. Once I give it to the Lord, it's out of my possession. I can't ever get it back. Now, I've got this unclean. I've got this camel, and if I give this camel to, as a vow before the Lord, Lord, if you deliver, then I'll give you my camel for your service, and then later on you need your camel back because you were able to achieve a lot of work or travel or whatever it might be, then for that $100 camel, you're going to have to pay $120. God's wanting man to think. He's wanting us to think because when we make a vow, we're standing before a holy God, and our holy God hears us. It's one of the blessings that we have as born-again believers, that I can come before the Lord in prayer, and the Lord hears me. But I've got to be careful of the things that I say because just as surely as God honors prayer, matter of fact, we're told in Psalm 139 that he will honor his word even above his name. That as God honors his word to that degree, he expects us to honor our word to him. Next, we have an oath given for a home and land, verses 14 and 15. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. If he who dedicated it wants to redeem his house, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your evaluation to it, and it shall be his. Again, the word dedicate is a willful dedication of your possessions to the Lord for the purpose of the Lord's work. This was one of the issues with Ananias and Sapphira. They made a vow. They ultimately made a vow before the Lord because what was the charge against them? You haven't lied to man. You have lied to the Holy Spirit because people were selling their possessions. They were taking their money and they were laying it at the apostles' feet for the purpose of the work of God because they were in Jerusalem at the time and the church is starting to grow, but there's an issue. You have women who are married to Jewish men. They're getting saved and they're getting thrown out of their homes. Or you have a man who gets saved. He's got a business. Well, nobody is coming to his business anymore because he's rejected by society. And so the church is gathering together and they're providing for one another, but it's taken quite a a lot of funds from the church. And so people are coming together. They're gathering together as a family. They're selling possessions and selling their property for $1,000 and they're bringing $1,000 back and it's as if they're making a vow to the Lord that, Lord, you use this for your glory. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had a possession and they sold it. Let's say once again, they sold it for $1,000. But 
but instead of bringing the $1,000 and laying it at the apostles' feet, they kept 500 of it. Now, we don't know what the monetary value was, but they kept a portion of it. And so they kept 500 for themselves, and they gave 500 to the Lord. Now, there's not a problem with that on the surface. If they would have said, you know what, we sold this land for $1,000, we're going to keep 500 bucks, but we'll give 500 to you, wouldn't have been no problem. But what they said is, well, they pocketed 500 and said, this is how much we sold the land for. And so Peter says, why have you lied, not before man, but you have lied before God. They've made a vow before God, and it wasn't true. And we see it cost them their lives. Acts chapter 5, verse 4, why it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so they made a vow before the Lord, and the Lord takes these things very serious, and so they were under obligation to perform it. Now, if you lie before the Lord, if you do this, I seriously doubt if God's going to kill you. I don't recommend trying it, but I think the reason this punishment was so severe, we have the beginning of the church, and we need to see the necessity of truthfulness before the Lord and the importance that God places upon truthfulness. In the book of Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Now the psalmist, he wants to honor God here. I'm going to be obedient to God. Anything I vow to God, I'm going to pay to God. Because again, this is a person who understands, who knows that it's all God's even in the first place. And then we have a vow of land, verses 16 through 25. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed of it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain to the year of Jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your valuation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall, be, it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priest. And if a man dedicates, it to the Lord, uh, dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to the one who owned the land as a possession. And all your valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 giras to the shekel. So the value of this land would be determined by the amount of seed that could be sown upon it, so the amount of yield that it would produce. So if you could plant more seed, it would be worth more money. If you could plant less seed, it would be worth less, such as there's an outcropping of rocks that took up a portion of it that would devaluate it. The number of harvests remaining until the year of Jubilee would cause the valuation to either go up or down. And this land would not be returned to the person making the vow in the year of Jubilee, but to the priest. But if you sold it to somebody, 
he dedicated it in the year of Jubilee, it would revert back to the original owner. And so again, what we see in all of this too is not just God holding us to our word, but also our God being a just God in doing what is right. Doing what is right by the original landowner because that was the possession of this person. Maybe he got in debt. Maybe a hardship came and he needed to sell it. But since he sold it in the year of Jubilee, it would revert back to him. But that person that he had sold it to would not be able to take the land from him permanently, even if he vowed it to the, uh, to the work of the Lord. And then we have certain exclusions. The first one we have is in verse 26 through 27. It's the exclusion of the firstborn of animals. Verse 26. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or a sheep. It is the Lord. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation and shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. You're wanting to make a vow before the Lord. And everybody else is doing it. It just seems like a good thing. Maybe you prayed before God and God answered your prayer. Lord, I'm going to give you, I'm going to vow to give you the firstborn that I have of the sheep, of this particular sheep. This particular sheep produces, you take the lamb, you gave it to him. That's not a vow. That's the firstborn of the sheep. You can't give God what is always God's. And the firstborn always belonged to the Lord. Remember, the firstborn was always pointing towards Jesus Christ. It was always that, that picture that was there. And we're going to keep purity in that picture. And so saying to God, I'm going to give you the firstborn, well, you're not doing the Lord any favors because that's already his. It's like you telling me, I'm going to give you a truck, Mike. It's parked out there in the parking lot. I'd say, what do you mean? This is my truck. You're not doing me any favors. And so the firstborn is the Lord. And so... You had to give it to God anyway. Now, if it's an unclean animal, you still had to give it to God, although there is the provision for being able to redeem it back. Then the devoted things in verses 28 through 29. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. A devoted thing is whatever you have that is the Lord, kind of like that firstborn. If you have a child who is a Levite, that child is going to serve God. He's already devoted to the Lord. Sometimes the spoils of war were called by God to be given by God, to be given to the work of the sanctuary. That you're not doing God any favor by giving him that, that's already his. And again, the first fruits of your crops were already his. And again, now we also turn to justice. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. And so somebody that has committed a crime worthy of capital punishment, you couldn't redeem him. You couldn't relieve him of that sentence by paying a fee that person was to be condemned. Verse 30 through 33, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. It is to be separated from all other. It is holy to the Lord. And if a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. 
and concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So you just can't do it, and you're going to be penalized if you can. Now, as far as a monetary offering is in your tithe, you could borrow that, if you will, but you have to pay a penalty. You have to pay one-fifth. And I'm thinking 20%, one-fifth is 20%. That's a pretty good deal. So here at Calvary Chapel, Ontario, we've got the records, and so we're going to start calling people and reminding those who didn't give on a particular service that they owe us one-fifth more. We're not going to do that, obviously, but that's was the responsibility in that day before the Lord because the tithe, and that's what God is wanting man to understand. Not only your word, but God owns all of these things. We look at all that we have. Sometimes I sit in the sanctuary by myself and I'm just looking at all the things and all the stuff that we have, looking at this building. I mean, I was here on the first day and we had absolutely nothing. And just looking at all the things and the stuff that the Lord has provided for us for the purpose of worship. Looking at the people and the people. I mean, how many people were here on the first day? Is there, there's well, quite a few, more than I thought. I mean, not the first day here. I mean, the first day that we started the church. Well, my family doesn't count, so Scott's the only one. <clears throat> Scott's the only one. But look, I mean, God's brought more people. God's brought more things. God brought more stuff. And the one thing that he impresses upon my heart that I can never forget, it ain't mine. Not one's mine. It's all God. Matter of fact, I'm not even mine. I'm the Lord's. And it's just such a blessing when you see how God has provided and how God has given. And go through some hard times at times, you know, attendance can go down or, you know, the offering goes down or whatever. And, that, you know, it can be this, this, that can just, just can be a hard thing at times. But again, it's all based upon the Lord. And it's based upon God and His graciousness and His sovereignty and, and who the Lord is. And, and again, we need to be thankful. We as a church, you know, there's some people who are old-timers. Scott's really old. Uh, he's been here since day one. There's some people here who are here for the very first time, and then everybody else is in between, and we need to thank God for everybody. Even if it's just fellowship for one night, it's valued. It's valued, and it's something to offer to the congregation, and it's something that you're offering to the Lord. And see, as I've said before, just the fact that you're, car is in the parking lot that's a witness it's a witness for people who are driving by and just as you're sitting here in the sanctuary tonight that's a witness because it's a gathering together of god's people and this is what we're supposed to do and as i look around me and all the things that i think are mine in actuality aren't mine they're the lord's and i must consider how can i be obedient to the lord because again there was responsibility too much is given much is expected but also how can I use this for the kingdom of God? And God keeps expanding just in little areas and little places. Most of you know, we prayed about it last week. I meant to pray for it tonight, but I didn't. We had our first radio show on KTI 590, 690, 590. 590, say? Yeah, 590. We had our first radio show Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And I'm just thinking, who are we? Who are we? And I don't, it's not me, it's, it's us. It's, you know, because without you guys, we're nothing. Who are we that God would use us to minister to anybody? And if you sit there and you think about it, 
it's just overwhelming at times. It's just an amazing thing. So the lesson, the lesson in verse 27, is all about faithfulness and integrity in your word before the Lord. For us, this is all to be based upon the faithfulness and the integrity first of God's word. As God is faithful, we are to be faithful. As God's word is of integrity, our word is to be on integrity. He made a vow to mankind in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of the salvation message. And God, he kept that vow. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so coming to the end of Leviticus, verse 34 of chapter 27, it says, And these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And it's in that that we see the grace of God. Because what was delivered on Mount Sinai with the thunderings and the lightnings? The commandments. But in the midst of the commandments and the penalty for the breaking of the commandments, it was also the way out. The way that sin could be covered through the sacrifice that pointed to the way that sin was going to be done away with through the sacrifice of the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, just very quick review. The theme of Leviticus is simply a call to holiness. Chapters 1 through 16 tell us the way to God is by the sacrifice, again, pointing to that perfect sacrifice of the Lord. Chapters 17 through 27 tell us our walk with God is by sanctification, that I would be separated from the world, that I would be separated even from my will, and I would be married to the Lord's will. Key verse, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves or separate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God repeats it. We need to pay attention to it. We saw the five main sacrifices. We saw the burnt offering, and this was a complete destruction of the animal in an effort to renew the relationship between God and man, fulfilled in Jesus Christ as Jesus was completely consumed upon the cross. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God, a one-time atonement for the sins of all mankind. There was the grain offering or the meal offering. It was a celebration of God's provision. If God has provided today, is the knowledge that God is going to provide tomorrow. Fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. We saw the peace offering. The idea here was fellowship that we have with God. Jesus being the perfect peace offering. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to have fellowship with the Father. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. There was the sin offering, an offering to be made for the covering of man's sins committed against God or against God's word. There's the trespass offering, that was the fifth sacrifice, an offering to be made for the covering of man's sins committed against people or property. We saw the regulations for the priests in chapters 8 through 10, that they were cleansed and anointed. 
Chapters 11 through 15, we saw the kosher laws of what was clean and unclean. Then in chapters 17 through 27, we saw cleansing came by the blood. There was a covering for sexual immorality, the conduct of God's people, the consecration of the priest, the convocations of holiness, the covenant of the land, and the commitments of God's people. But most of all, again, you can never forget to see the grace and the mercy of a holy God who desires to have a relationship with his people. He knows who you are. He knows how you are. He gives us the laws, but he knows that we're unable to keep these laws in perfection. And God does demand perfection. But because of that, he understood that we needed a savior. And so God sent a savior. He sent himself, the only one who could fulfill all 613 of the commandments and perfection. And it's in that that we see the great love with which God has for us, that he has set his love upon us, that we should be called children of the living God. Father, we thank you for a love so great and a love that was displayed in a way that was so undeniable. And I pray, Father, if we get nothing else out of the study tonight, that we would remember that the God who has done so much for us, we can't pay him back. We had a debt that we couldn't pay, but he paid that debt. And Father, as you have paid that debt for our disobedience, we just thank you and we just come before you, Lord, just humbled humbled to be in your presence, humbled to have your word, and humbled to possess, Lord, your spirit. And so, Father, we just once again thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. I lift up our time of fellowship that you would bless it. I pray for our couples retreat, Father, again, that you would minister to the, the, the couples of this church, that you would bless them, and that, Lord, you would just go before us, that everybody would travel safely and find the facility. Pray for the facility that it would minister, but I pray even more so for the teachings that, Lord, they would touch to the heart of our marriages, and as they do, we would see a church strengthened and built up. I pray for those who are staying behind, that you would bless them, and we pray for our time in your word Sunday morning. But, Father, just pray that we would be a full-fledged church, just seeking after you, being ministered to by you, and then ministered through you, Lord, to this world that, Father, is so perishing. So, Father, again, we just thank you and praise you for who you are and all you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?